0: Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and it's been my honor to be the Bible teacher of this ministry for over 20 years. We've rejoiced to be able to come to you every weekday. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its Missions Fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our work by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Do you have confidence when you pray that God hears you and is ready to answer you? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, the call of God is to pray strategically in keeping with his passion to save lost people. To have confidence in your prayers, you'll have to pray prayers that align with the heart of God. Then Paul writes, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands. To align prayers with God's heart, we need to be holy. So, how confident are you in your prayers? 1 John 3, verses 21 and 22 says this. 1 John 3, 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. You live an obedient life, a holy life, and God gives you this word of confidence for your prayers. Live a holy life, an obedient life, freed from the condemnation of sin, and God says, I'll answer those prayers. But now the opposite stands true as well. What if your heart condemns you? What if you're living in a compromise, and unconfessed state, and there's sin in your life that you've not forsaken and done away with, even as you pray for blessing on your home or your family or your community? What does that do? Psalm 66, the psalmist says in verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart... The Lord will not hear me. The person standing in the gap must be dressed in the righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ in order to speak to the Holy God. Their prayer must resonate from their own encounter with the purging fire of a Holy God cleansing them from sin and then keeping them cleansed from thereon. So pray, yes, pray. But pray with the holy armor on. And that armor is Jesus Christ filling with himself. I referenced Romans 13, 14. Let me read it for you. It says there, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the armor. How is that? affecting holiness. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You can't wear Christ. You can't put on his life. And put on these other things in your life. They, They don't fit. His life doesn't fit over it as you put Christ on by faith and you trust him and you receive him he begins to displace and to move away from your life those things in your flesh that still rage after a royal after and have an appetite for those things that are unholy and unright and then in the power and life of Christ the spirit comes upon you to enable you to put to death the deeds that are done in your flesh you put on a holy life by wrapping around you in faith a commitment to all the holiness of Jesus Christ As he comes upon you and you receive him, you have a growing hatred within yourself that rejects sin and seeks to live and breathe out itself in its prayers and in its expressions before God, lifting up holy hands, lifting up holy hands. But you say, I don't really quite still understand what this life of holiness is, and so let me, we've been speaking to it over and over again, but let me just say plainly this. Thirdly, in essence, holiness is Christ's likeness. It's living a life humbly surrendered to the excellency of Jesus Christ, living out his own life within you. And this is how you identify a holy life. This is how you see it in your life. This is how you begin to recognize in the life of others. The first mark of holiness is humility and selflessness. It is an expression of surrendering your life to the outworking life of Jesus in you. And you can't surrender yourself to him and be full of yourself. And you can't surrender yourself to him and not be utterly laying yourself out in humility and meekness before him. And so when we go on and read the rest of this verse, we see that these words are, in a sense, merely describing something of this holy Christ-like life working itself from our lives in prayer. It says, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without wrath. That holy person at prayer will not be stewing in anger and wrath. The person who has found the profound forgiveness of God as they beat their breast before Him and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, may find at times they're angry at the unrighteousness and the injustice and the sheer stupidity of the people around them. It'll happen. But then as they go to pray before a holy God, they'll remember how God found them in their own sins and their own brokenness and their own rebellion and their own foolishness and the stupidity of their own sins and how God mercifully changed their hearts to bow before Him and seek His graceful forgiveness. The truly holy person will know that all their holiness and righteousness is not of their own, but that it's of God working Himself in them as they bowed out before Him in complete surrender. And now that holy, surrendered heart cannot come to God and long hold on to their anger at others. If you can, if you can go before God in prayer... And you can hold on to your anger, your frustration and resentment and bitterness towards others, into your prayer, through your prayer, out of your prayer. You're not living in Christ's holiness. You're not lifting up holy hands before him. You should not expect those prayers to be answered. There is a righteous anger, I know that. It can see the things that are wrong and the injustices in this world, and it's embittered towards those things that resist the hand of God. But a righteous anger can rest itself and safely release its anger and its bitterness into the hands of the holy, all-powerful God when it goes before Him in prayer. Have you ever prayed in anger? Ever been really frustrated and angry? My parents began to teach us as little children that it was impossible to pray in prayer. You know, we'd have a big argument with our siblings and a big fight just before dinner time, and we sat around the table, and then my father would say, just after saying something nasty to your sister, Joel, would you bless the food? <laughs> and, you know, you found out, okay, this is kind of hard to do. <laughs> it's hard to pray when you're angry. But sometimes we plow ahead and do it anyhow. We're frustrated at the foolishness of people or at the madness of sin or the injustice that we see that impacts our life and the lives of those around us. And we, we pray for vindication and we even pray for retribution and These things are human emotions drawn from good instincts for the truth and good instincts for justice, and they're right and they're good. And yet, if you persist in that anger far into your prayer and after it, it's not likely that that prayer is going to be answered. Your righteous anger goes down with the sun, because in prayer you lay everything down in the hands of the all-wise God and you trust Him and you rest in Him and you thank Him for how He's delivered you. From your own sins. And anger that persists and eats away from you is an evidence that something is unyielded to God in your life. It's a revelation that you are holding on to your own self. It's a demonstration of not only unyielded rights to God, but it's a demonstration of exaggerated self-importance that you're still maintaining in His presence. But when you yield all your rights to God, and you yea your life out before him as a living sacrifice, you no longer pray or make requests to him in persistent, enduring anger. This is the evidence of Christ living out his holy life in you. And so the holy person is not praying with anger or wrath. He's not. Another thing it says here is it says that in holiness, the Lord Jesus gives us a singularity about how we approach him and how we pray. There's not a division, you might say, within us. As we rest in submission to God, we find that our hearts are not divided, but they're whole and they're united before Him because we trust Him in all things. A holy person rests in God so their faith is settled on Him and they're not vacillating. They can lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Many of the verses you have there say without disputing or without arguing. And the Greek word that's found there for without doubting in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 is the word dialogue. It's the word from which we get a conversation. It's the idea that you're to come before God and there's not supposed to be some back conversation going on while you're supposed to be talking to him. You're not supposed to be arguing with somebody else. You can't be disputing with one another and come before God with a singular heart and mind before him. But I don't think that's actually the primary idea. I don't think the idea here is that we're having these disputations among ourselves, but that's certainly true. I think the context here would say that the dispute was within ourselves and I think, that's why, I think that's why we have the translation without doubting, without this internal conflict that's going on between ourselves. And That conflict arises when there's compromise and sin in our life, when there's a lack of yielding to God. There are times, by the way, when we're confused. We don't understand why God is doing certain things. We don't know what the answer is. We don't know ourselves well. God, I'm, I've said this to God many times, God, I'm so dumb. I don't know your ways, I'm so numb to your will, I, I'm so foolish. And all these thoughts are spinning around in my head where I want to find your truth and your will and your way. And, but oh, listen, even in that moment of complication when you come before God and yield to him and say, but you, God, you're all true and you're all wise and you know all things and I'll wait upon you until you give the answer and I seek your presence and your faith and your life within me. All of a sudden he quiets the storm that rages in the conversation of all the inner voices that roil within you. You speak that one word of clarity that says, I hold on to you and I trust in you and I rest in you. And this doubt and this conflict and this internal dialogue is put aside. The harsh arguments end because you live in holy surrender to Him. All these other issues are surrendered. And if you're living in sin that's unconfessed, there is a conflict going on in your spirit even as you go before God. You're trying to carry on a conversation with them and there's all kinds of contradicting back voices before you and you've got to sit there and try to justify them and tamp them down. You've got to say, but I'm a good person and I'm a righteous person and I do good things and it's all there. And then you try to progress in prayer. It can't happen. God won't hear it. God can't hear it because it's not, you're not capable of resonating the sound of his own holy voice speaking over you and speaking his truth into you a truth that will reveal your sin and cause you to confess it. The person who comes in this way before God will find that they can come into their prayer and sin, but they can't leave it in sin. It'll be laid out before him. It'll be completely confessed. It'll be let go. There will not be this unsettled dialogue and dispute and argument going on within your heart. Everything will be yielded to Christ. For holiness is Christ living in the yielded person. This is the life of holiness And it's from this life that prayers are made to God that God answers. That person can pray without feeling condemnation before the throne of God. They can pray without any kind of presumption. They come to God bowing in worship and humility. They become to God bowing with expectation for their prayers because they know it reflects the heart of God himself and that it will be answered in his time and his way. But if you live to impose your own life on others or to cling and persist into sin that you know is wrong before God, you can be sure your prayers will not be answered. Remember here, in First Timothy chapter two, we're to be found praying for those conditions of peace and quietness of life that make for the proclaiming of the gospel. We're to pray for it at least the peace and quietness to rule our own hearts so that our lives become oases of peace in an unstable world. And from our lives, we might be able to give people the hope that lies within us. But if you're not living in surrender, if you're not living a holy, surrendered life before God, and that's not expressive in your prayers, no one's going to look at your life to see those things. No one's going to ask the question for the hope that lies within you. What they're going to see, you might not be able to see it yourself because you've glossed it over with your religious lifestyle. But what they're going to see is increasing bitterness and anger and contentions and self-impositions even a lack of self-control. So your prayers won't be answered. People won't see you as a necessary answer for the peace themselves they long for. Well, thank you for listening to the ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship and church planting, or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.